helped you tidy up all the nooks and crannies of your body's basement, but this year Manscaped can help you get the perfect presentation on that beautiful face with the new Beard Hedger Pro Kit. Make sure you look your best this spring by using code BELLYUP20 to get 20% off and free shipping at Manscaped.com. It's time to tame your mane with the Beard Hedger Pro Kit. The sun is peeking back out, which means you'll have to show your face in the daylight again. So use the kit to make sure your scruff looks award-winning, whether you got glorious beard flow or some smooth, sleek cheeks. The kit starts off with the Beard Hedger, a waterproof cordless trimmer with a rotary wheel that gives you 20 hair-cutting lengths, all with one guard. So no more messy drawers full of add-ons. It also comes with the titanium-coated T-blades that are tough on hair but smooth on your face, leading to a single-stroke efficiency that brings satisfaction one stroke at a time. The Beard Hedger is a high-tech piece of art in a travel-sized package with a long-lasting battery, universal charging, and a strong motor. So what are you waiting for? Save 20% off and free shipping when you use the promo code BELLYUP20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the promo code BELLYUP20 at manscaped.com. Focus on the face and use the Beard Hedger Pro Kit for the cleanest look in the game. This is the MD's Fantasy Football Show with Dan Mader. Giving you the X's and O's of all things fantasy. Oh, I know. It's been three weeks since we've had a show. We're finally back. I'm off of my late spring break, and don't worry. I will not be off again until January 1st of 2024. So thanks for coming into the show, guys. On a Thursday night, we are back. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater, and we like to kick off June. Because I look at June 1st as the unofficial kickoff to the countdown of the NFL season. And I like to do that with a team profile series. This is where we talk at NFC East. That means the Eagles. It means the Cowboys, the Commanders, the Giants. It is a gold mine for what's going to be upcoming in your best ball drafts, your redraft leagues, your dynasty leagues currently going on, which hopefully you, you follow us along during your draft season or draft special or rookie content or rookie mock drafts. You're already good to go on that front. We do have an esteemed guest to get to before we properly introduce him. And yes, I've been warming up my voice for that. Don't you guys worry. I do want to say, Danielle Dubois, how are you today? Glad to have you back on the show. I'm doing well. I'm so excited to be back. It feels like it's been too long and I have a lot to say about the NFC East. Yeah, I've been, you know, I'm a fiend. I'm in the corner. I'm going to get a little itchy and it's, it's, it's time to get back at it. But let's get our guests introduced. It's going to help us break down all the NFC East content that we have. What's going on, y'all? And now, in the bottom half of your screen, he is the great man, the fantasy analyst from the MB Fantasy Life. Find him on social media at Chris Allen FFWX. It's Mr. Chris Allen. Whoa. I feel like you, you started this off, Dan, like saying that I'm an esteemed guest. And then you give me an intro like that. I feel like we should just like shut the show down like right here. Cause I don't know if the type of energy and analysis I can provide can match the energy that you got, man. That, that's too much for me, but I appreciate it. I appreciate you both for having me come on tonight and talk about the NFC East. It's actually one of the more intriguing divisions in my mind. Uh, even though as a Bengals fan, I'm always, I'm always more pumped to talk about all things AFC North. 
But for this particular division, I mean, we're talking about one of the teams that was just in the Super Bowl just a few months ago. Uh, Dallas Cowboys, I think for me and mine, I think that is one of the more, uh, let's say, top to bottom, one of the best rosters in the league. And if you want to take a look at the way the commanders are looking right now, the Giants are looking at our Giants are building their roster up right now. I think it's just to me, it's an intriguing division and I'm excited to get into it with both of y'all tonight. So, again, thanks for having me. Well, Chris, thank you for taking the time. Um, we met briefly during the expo. And uh, mm-hmm. here's the, here's the one part about meeting people during the expo, because it is in Canton, Ohio, and a lot of people are from Ohio there. You're all about the AFC North. All of you. I can't yes. fit all of you in on that one division. That's the problem. Yes. <laughs> it's all we got. I mean, in Ohio, we've got we've got the Bengals, got the Browns. I mean, Steelers nearby. And, of course, the Ravens like farther down south. But, really, we don't have too many other sports teams or anything like that going on here. I mean, of course, the Indians, they had their run. A few years ago, Reds are disappointing, to say the least, right now. So we don't have a ton of sports in Ohio to really cling on on to, I mean, outside of uh, the Buckeyes, if you're into college sports. So really, this is all we got. This, this, this is it for us. And since I lived in Cincinnati for a while, the Bengals are, are, are my squad. But yeah, I mean, hopefully we'll see a bit better uh, output or results for the Bengals this year. But no, let's talk about the NFC East, man, for sure. Yeah, let's let's get into it. And I guess it's, you know, it's fitting because Canton, you know, birthplace football. It does sure, make sure. it does make some sense here. Um, I don't want to deliberate too much because we have a lot to get into. And I want to try to squeeze this into an hour. Um, while we do have Chris in the background. We'll try to get him going in just a second. But let's I do have some coaching notes that we have to get into first, actually. If I could actually hit the drop. <laughs> So not a ton of changes, but a few key ones that I do find a little bit interesting. And I want to start this off going with the Philadelphia Eagles because their offensive coordinator, Stane Setchen, he's now, you know, head coach for the Indianapolis Colts. So now Brian Johnson is going to be the man who takes over. Now, with Brian Johnson, he was an offensive coordinator of Florida for three years. During that time, they had a pretty lethal passing attack. Now it's college and a different scenario, of course, but... When I'm looking at coaches and what their potential schematics can be, I'm looking for tendencies that could be an indication of what kind of tendency we could be seeing. Look, we try to grab whatever data we can. Of course, the last two years, he spent as the quarterback's coach for Jalen Hurts. Chris, when you look at this breakdown right now for the Philadelphia Eagles, switching over to Brian Johnson, what's something you're anticipating? I'm anticipating a continued development plan for Jalen Hurts. Because uh, if you think about when he first came into the league, I mean, his first like full season as a starter, I don't really want to go into the Carson Wentz, Jalen Hurts, handed all the chaos with the final season with Doug Peterson. That was just an absolute mess. But let's think about that first season with Jalen Hurts. Where we saw just him as a, a raw passer. And I'm not going to say he was inaccurate because he was still capable of hitting some downfield throws. And if there were routes that would hit uh, farther out towards the boundaries along the perimeter, capable of hitting that. That's when Devonta Smith, I mean, his rookie season, we really saw him start to explode and have that rapport with Jalen Hurts. But those crossing routes, having to target the middle of the field, that does seem to be part of the issue for Jalen Hurts. It's part of the reason why they really wound up not having at least the best time that first season when they went to the playoffs and they had to play against the Bucs. Those were, I mean, it was a limited passing game at best. Downfield strikes, absolutely. Jalen Hurts can hit those all day. You want those timing routes, those outbreaking routes, like towards the outside. AJ Brown, Devonta Smith, heck, you want to throw in Dallas Goddard, also there. So my my thought process is, and you mentioned it yourself, Dan, that Brian Johnson, like having that time, that's two years with Jalen Hurts, like being the being the quarterbacks coach, 
seeing his development and actually working with him on a daily basis and understanding like the ins and outs of his passing, uh, the mechanics for his passing and where he struggles at. And we've seen the incremental process, incremental improvements over the past few years. And we've seen him really turn into a pocket passer, like more so than what he was considered to be more just a raw, I mean, mobile quarterback, rushing quarterback, whatever moniker you want to give to him. So my expectation is that continued improvement, that continued progression where now we see a guy like A.J. Brown, who we know can run a full route tree, actually using him as a full wide receiver, running that full route tree and being able to hit those middle and intermediate crossing routes that we know he can be devastating with. And the same thing for Devonta Smith. So that's my expectation. I don't really sense or see uh, a massive schematic shift in terms of their password of expectation. Jalen Hurts is still going to be one of the top rushers in the league. Don't really see a ton changing in that regard. But from the passing efficiency, I do think that that's going to be just another small step forward for the Eagles offense because as more teams start to see a bit more tape, as they start to see how much the how much the offense relies on like their passing attack with primarily just the wide receivers and tight ends, they're going to need to have like at least a, a more efficient passing game. And Jalen Hurts being able to hit those intermediate crossers is going to be a key aspect of that. Love that breakdown. Very detailed. Absolutely 100% agree with everything you're saying there. And I want to add a little tidbit to that. I want to know if there's going to be extra volume. Because so far, even though Jalen Hurts did take that step up from his first full starting season to last year, and of course the added weapon does help, you also had a situation where there's still a run-first team. And I think people kind of sometimes forget about that a little bit because you looked at the success of A.J. Brown, Devonta Smith, and even Dallas Goddard when he was healthy, and you start to think to yourself, like, well, they must have passed the ball at least a little bit more, just a balanced approach. And it was still more of a run-first team. So now I'm kind of wondering, does Brian Johnson maybe, maybe with the development of trying to add in more of a full route tree with those wide receivers like A.J. Brown, who's so deadly when he is able to run the crossing mm-hmm. patterns as we know, are they going to be able to take that next step up in the passing volume? This has become maybe from a... 49-51 split in favor of the run. So maybe are we looking at 53-55 and getting that extra passing volume that Jalen Hurts is a $50 million man now. And we're going to get into him in just a little bit, but I'd be curious to see if you're not going to try to put the ball in his hands a little bit more often and go a little more passing. I think that's totally possible. I I don't think that, what is it, the, the tush push or whatever that they've been using when they get into those third and short, fourth and short type situations. I mean, with that offensive line, you what got two all pro uh, linemen, uh, what a pro bowl, I think a, like a pro bowl guard, if I'm remembering correctly, or maybe it was a, one of their tackles that that was uh, voted into the pro bowl. But either way, with that offensive unit being top two in both pass block win rate and pass uh, uh, pass block win rate and, pa- and rushing uh, rushing block or run block win rate as well, excuse me, uh, that should continue to be at least a s- efficient running game. But like you mentioned, if they can step up their pass game just a little bit more, actually give secondaries a bit more to be afraid of regarding like how much they're going to pass a bit more. I could see that ticking up at least just a little bit. So again, that just gives a little bit more flavor to their offense. I tend to agree. Chris, welcome to the show. You on buddy? You all good? In your yeah, I'm, trying like, I'm trying to be like Danielle and set the mood with a nice dark background. <laughs> I dig it. Yeah. <laughs> all good, buddy. We're going to just kick this right into Washington and I'm going to kick this over to you, Chris, Eric Bietemi. What do we make of Eric Bieniemy? Do we give him much credit as a play caller when he's stuck there with Andy Reid? Background, of course, being a running backs coach before. You know, Washington's offense has been one of the worst, only 19.8 points a game, around 63-ish plays per game. 
They've had a kind of a 55-45 split. I mean, what's some things you're looking for Eric Bieniemy to, to bring here to Washington, if anything? I think the biggest thing you might see is that they might transition to more of a pass-friendly offense that they kind of were like under Scott Turner. Um, you saw last year, we were, Ron Rivera kind of put his stamp on, you know, on this team and wanted them to be a physical running team that kind of built around their defense. Eric Bieniemy doesn't really show you propensity to want to run the ball. Um, that was something he kind of struggled with in his Kansas City run. And, you know, two years ago, Patrick Mahomes had a, one of the worst stretches he's had during his career. Now they bounced back and had a wonderful year last year. But a lot of the things that you kind of attribute to Eric Bieniemy, I do question. And I do think there's something a little bit more hype than actually the reality. Um, I think that you see a guy who kind of struggles when defense takes certain routes away from him, when they were kind of forced to be squeezed. And, you know, heard a lot of this cover three zone that the Chiefs were facing last year or two years ago, I should say. Um, you know, they kind of took away the big plays with Tyree Kill, and they weren't able to really kind of adapt for a while. Now, eventually, Patrick Mahomes got back on track, but it took them quite most of the season, in a sense. And last year, they were kind of hit the ground running, you know, the different weapons to kind of feature. But it looked more like a Patrick Mahomes or Andy Reid offense, where Andy Reid kind of got back and looked like he brought some of his route concepts back into the you know the fold. They moved Juju Smith-Schuster around a lot. They kind of featured guys that kind of, you know, give eye candy so they get Travis Kelsey the ball. There's no Travis Kelsey on the Washington team. There's no guys who that you're, you know, you look at the receivers that get the ball. And that was something that they kind of struggled with when they weren't just getting the ball deep. Uh, we had really, I never saw that second receiver in Kansas City kind of materialize either. And it's just what Washington team has three really good receivers. So I do have some questions whether Eric Bannon is going to be as upgraded people kind of expect him to be for Washington. I don't know. It doesn't get much worse than Scott Turner. Danielle, yes or no, your Eric Bieniemy. Um, kind of going off of that point, yeah, it really can't be worse, worse, clear, worse, clearly. And I think, I mean, it could be a really good shot for them when you look at the experience that he has. And when you think about the specific playoff experience that he has and going on in the two Super Bowls that he was there for, I mean, that's something really impressive. And that's something you learn through and being able to carry that over to Washington that if for some reason they sneak into the playoffs, that could really help them in the long run, having that coaching veteran experience in the playoffs specifically. I think it'll be a little bit interesting to see how it works out with Washington's less than stellar offense, but I do have a lot of hope going into this season. Here's all I just heard Danielle say. Expect Washington to go to the playoffs. We're going to put that on TikTok. No, we're going to blow it up. No, no, no. We're blowing that up everywhere. I, I heard that. If, nope, yep, if they headline. <laughs> headline, Commanders going to the playoffs with Sam Howe, which we're going to get into that a little bit later too. <laughs> Let's kick this to the Cowboys, shall we? We got Mike McCarthy. We got Brian Schottenheimer. We, of course, we have the comments that kicked off. McCarthy says, run the damn ball. He clearly hamstrung Kellen Moore last year. There's no doubt about that. He wanted him to run the ball more. But the media-driven narrative that these two are going to be absolutely positively run-centric, at first I agreed with it. But then I started looking at more of the data. Well, Mike McCarthy, the last time we credit him for calling plays, and I took the last three years, not including the year he was fired, he had a 62% passing rating. Brian Schottenheimer, who's actually developed in inner circles, is being, becoming more of an analytics guy. The last time he was calling plays 2020 for the Seattle Seahawks, it was more like 57%. These guys have actually been pass happy the last time they've been in charge of an offense. Mike McCarthy especially. Now, part of that, of course, is you have Aaron Rodgers, but Dak Prescott's a pretty expensive quarterback, and you added Brandon Cooks. You have C.D. Lamb. You have Michael Gallup getting back healthy, and Tony Pollard. This offense feels structured to me to be more of a pass-friendly 21 personnel type of team. Am I reading this wrong, Chris? Or are we maybe off here a little bit expecting this to be a run-centric team? 
No, not at all. And to your point, the team is kind of telling us they want to be a still be a pass first type offense with the moves they made over the offseason. Now, after the release of Zeke, have you told me that they tacked on Leonard Fournette and they bring in another uh, another veteran running back and they continue to shore up their offensive line? They sign some more offensive linemen uh, through free agency, kind of like what the Denver Broncos did for Russell Wilson. Then I would think, yes, this is a team that wants to be more conservative. They want to try and protect their quarterback. They want to make sure that the offense has a strong ground game. So that's what the Broncos did. Dallas Cowboys did something a little bit different because, like you mentioned, they go out and get a pass catcher, and albeit in the twilight years of his career in Brandon Cooks, but still can perform the intermediate type of routes that they sorely need at this point. Because if you have a power slot type of player in CD Lamb, you have a primary or like your prototypical X receiver and Michael Gallup, having a guy like Brandon Cooks in there to complement both of those stylistic wide receivers is really the complimentary wide receiver that you need for your passing game, especially after losing a guy like Dalton Schultz, which is essentially like that safety blanket for Dak Prescott. And without adding anything behind Tony Pollard, who, which to me seems still seems kind of odd because didn't Tony Pollard just fracture his fibula? What was that four months ago? And they haven't gone out and added somebody significant behind him that at the very least, if not should challenge Tony Pollard for touches, at the very least be a, a solid pass protector for Dak Prescott. Because that is one thing that Zeke did provide, like for the Cowboys, and being that additional offensive lineman or pass protector for Prescott. But all for all intents and purposes, what the Cowboys have shown us over the offseason is that they still want to be that pass-first type of offense. And again, also to your point, I mean, Mike McCarthy over like the uh, majority of his career, like plays per game has uh, roughly averaged around 64.7 plays per game, which just this past season would have been fringe top 12. So if we're still getting similar types of passing volume out of Dak Prescott, we know where most of the volume is going to go to given the draft capital and or money paid out to the receivers. Then to me, it just seems like it's going to be the same old, same old for the Cowboys. And I'll just continue to draft them at their ADP. Yeah. Um, what's the matter, Chris? You don't like uh, you don't like Ronald Jones? <laughs> I can't do it. No, I'll never be a Ronald Jones believer. I'm done with that. I can't do it. You can't trick me. I'm not doing it. <laughs> Oh, you got to love the moves. You got to love the moves. Yeah. We're going to get more into Zeke and Tony Pollard in a little bit. So I want to skip over to the quarterback. <laughs> All right, let's go with the top quarterback fantasy wise, especially of this division. Let's talk about Jalen Hurts a little bit here. Now, we mentioned maybe some of our expectations for Brian Johnson coming in as the play caller, what that may look like for them and how that could help him take the next step in the passing. And I also wanted to mention, I kind of wanted to talk about the goal line thing here because he is a $50 million quarterback. Are you really going to smash your quarterback who you just paid $50 million to into a body count of 22 plus at a one yard distance 10 times a season? I don't know. The play works really well. So that, and I know NFL coaches, when something works really well, it's really hard to turn away from it completely. But I also kind of start to question these things. And it's not just, it's more of using that as an example to, does Hurts maybe take a step back? Is he rushing 150 times or is it more like maybe 120 times? And we start to see things of that nature. Uh, Chris D, I got like two Chris's now. So Chris D, we'll kick this to you. What do you, what do you see in here when you're looking at Jalen Hurts? Yeah, I think this is a guy that's going to continue to be one of the you know, top quarterbacks to have 
I, I know Chris was talking about the other Chris, I should say, was talking about, you know, looking to kind of maybe not use him as much on some of the street artist things, maybe have him throw the ball, but more. I think Jalen Hurts is built like a tank. He's been since then, he's been in Alabama. This guy's always been a run first quarterback in some senses. Now I think he's going to, you know, continue to progress as a passer. But I look at a guy who has a plethora of weapons. You know, you look at this offensive line, one of the top offensive lines in the league, a guy who's very physical. You can spread them out, and they haven't even kind of utilized all the weapons they have. I love a guy like Quiz Watkins, for example. There's guys that, you know, wasn't even really seeing the field really well last year. So this team has a lot of different guys they can kind of continue to explore. And this offense is still, I think, still trying to find its vibe. You know, they kind of were early on, two years ago, I should say, the coaching staff, they were looking to try to, you know, throw the ball a lot. And they kind of struggled initially, so they kind of went back to the physical running game, used Jalen Hurts, got him comfortable. But after last year's, you know, fantastic season, I think you're going to see a guy who's kind of unleashed on both things, a team that also has a good defense who can get the ball back in his hands and provide an opportunity to score lots of touchdowns. So I look at the, I also look at the division, not overly pressed outside the Dallas with the defenses. I think the Eagles and Jalen Hurts is going to have a wonderful season again. Yeah, Top three, no doubt about it. But I, I will say this, just a little bit of caveat. Built like a tank, technically has not played an entire season yet. Has not been able to go through an entire 16 or 17 game season. Now, it's only been a game or two, which is pretty good for a guy who runs as much as he does. I'm not trying to take anything away from him. But technically, we have missed a couple of games. And as somebody who's had Jalen Hurts over the past couple of seasons in quite a few fantasy leagues, he tends to miss in the most important time of the season. It's, an, it's, it's a little aggravating. I'm just I'm just putting it out there. Just putting it out there. Uh, when I look at, there's not much else to really go over Jalen Hurts, right? Because he's going to be in the top three. We all love him. We know he's going to be an elite quarterback. What about Dak? What about Dak? So we, we, we roll in this whole Mike McCarthy talk, Brian Schottenheimer talk. Okay, we, we've established we think they're going to throw more than what the media is necessarily leading us to believe to, to kick this you know whole offseason off. They add in Brandon Cooks, who I think is a fantastic number two receiver. We're going to talk about him. If Michael Gallup is, in fact, returning to form, which if you believe OTA reports, would how you believing? What's holding back Dak at this point? Should he be returning? Because right now, his ADP, I believe is Q, an FFPC this is, is QB11. He's typically been a QB8 when on top of his game or even better than that on a week-in, week-out basis. So what am I missing here with Dak? Why are we pessimistic on him? Because one was that he was so good, Dan. I think since that injury two years ago, we haven't seen the same Dak Prescott. We have seen a guy who's, you know, basically they got rid of Mari Cooper last year because they didn't even need him, they thought, because they couldn't throw him the ball. They're having struggle kind of using all the weapons you kind of talked about when they have plethora weapons. Maybe Schottenheimer's the magic elixir. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily be the case, but I think Dak Prescott's not really shown you to be the same kind of quarterback he's been in the past. And I think that's a big part of will Dallas, you know, kind of revert back to the running game. Now, I think there might be the intentions to try to open it up. But I think what Mike McCarthy was kind of talking about last year is when Dak's not on his game, as you saw with Cooper Rush, this team can win with their defense. They can win with being a physical offensive line and just kind of running the ball and, you know, maintaining kind of possession. So I think as long as Dallas is winning, Dak Prescott will have the kind of, you know, a chance to kind of open up and throw the ball. But if Dallas is going to be struggling or they get behind in games, I wouldn't be surprised if they kind of rein it in and just let him, you know, kind of be more of a manager because he has not really been that elite quarterback for the past two seasons. Chris Allen, what were you going to say there? I would say that Dak is still Dak. Uh, it's just the personnel moves that the Cowboys have made outside of Dak have contributed to what we saw last season. And the high turnover rate that we saw from Prescott especially once it got closer to the uh, fantasy playoffs, 
mean, that most likely contributed to drafters having a sour taste in their mouth. How many games in a row did he have at least like one interception? It was probably like five or six. I mean, there was like a fairly solid length of, of games. I mean, just like pull up this game long look at where he was throwing, if not one, multiple interceptions. Uh, but then also thinking about the personnel that was around him last season, if it wasn't Michael Gallup still dealing with injury, I mean, you had like again, Dalton Schultz. Okay, fine. Like I said, CeeDee Lamb, while a, let's say a high end, like wide receiver one, like on in his own right, but he's not the, he's not a Jamar Chase. He's not a Justin Jefferson. He's not, he's not that type of receiver. Like he ain't him, like as the kids probably say, but for the personnel moves that they've made, that allows Dak to continue to operate like as, as he has in the past. Pre-snap diagnosis of defensive coverages, elite. But it's the post-snap reads. And then also just, again, a couple of like bad like tips of the ball. If you go back and watch the tape, a number of them were just the ball clanging off the hands of guys like Noah Brown. I mean, hell, weren't they running out freaking T.Y. Hilton at some point last season? So, again, there's some context that goes into our evaluation of Dak Prescott moving forward. And so I'm still of the mindset that, what the team has shown us from their personnel moves, they still believe in Dak, like being like they're still being like the the focal point of this offense. But do I? But I to Chris's point, will they get into situations where they could potentially lean on their defense? Because especially if Tony Pollard comes back, let's say in the first like month of the season, Tony Pollard's still coming back to form, and they're relying primarily on the aerial attack. Will they come to some, like, will they get into those types of games where they'll need the defense to close out games? Absolutely. And it's good that they have that potential in order to do that. But I still, I still believe in Dak, just given the accuracy that's been able to show over the past three seasons, he's been top 10 to top 12 in completion percentage over expected since he became a starter. It like efficiency has been there, but I, I would say I ding the Cowboys front office from taking away a player like Amari Cooper and then leaving Dak with players like Noah Brown uh, and like this whatever wide receiver three they've been able to pull off the street in order to substitute such a high-end route runner like Amari Cooper. Well, 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 Chris, you hit on one of the points I wanted to make, which is his turnovers were through the roof, comparatively speaking, to what mm -hmm. he normally gives you last season. And the other point I'll make this from the fantasy standpoint, his rushing touchdowns were way down. And I'm curious, with no Zeke Elliott around, does he maybe take a little bit more? Do they do a little bit more RPO action? Does he take them in a little bit more when they get in? Because that was his bread and butter. It wasn't like Dak Prescott was ripping off 20, 30-yard runs and taking them into the end mm -hmm. zone. He was taking them from inside the 10-yard line. Without Zeke Elliott, do they mix a little bit more of that in there? That's more what I'm looking at. I think Dak is a good value, is a perfect good value for what he's at right now. Not too high. I don't have to expect the ceiling from him, but right now, he's floor i think is right where he's being drafted it's more close to his floor mm -hmm. than it is to his ceiling as of this moment danielle you're gonna help me out here with, with the with the giants you know danielle knows me well she knows how much i cannot stand daniel jones and i rolled my eyes and we got paid 40 million dollars <laughs> and if i had to hear one more person tell me how good of a job he did throwing 15 touchdowns and that somehow quantified him as being a good quarterback I might hang myself this offseason so danielle you're gonna help me out here because she she does a good job soothing me now that he's learned to take care of the football, I guess with a year of Brian Dable, we give him credit that he didn't turn over the ball over every single game like he used to. Can he add aggression to that? Because when you look at Daniel Jones, he was, I had the numbers here right in front of me. He was 30th in deep ball pass attempts, 15% in accuracy, but then also 24th in red zone, 
He was efficient, though, his accuracy in the red zone opportunities that he did get. He was third overall there. But can he add aggression in money ball spots with the less turnovers that he was able to create last season? What do you think? I think he can. I think he has shown a lot of improvement. And I know you don't like people saying that he's had a good season, but I believe he did. And especially when you just look at past seasons from him, it was kind of night and day, the difference that went into last season. And I think he's going to continue growing. And I hope that he continues growing because with the addition of Waller on this team, I think the entire personnel and the staff of this team is trying to create that aggression in Daniel Jones. I think that they all know that he's a good quarterback, but he can take it one step further. And I think adding more talent on the offense is really trying to bring that out. And I think if he makes a good connection with Waller over these next few months before the season starts, I think that he could be easily a very aggressive quarterback this season. I think he can look even better than he did last season. Anybody else got anything to say? (laughs) (laughs) My only concern with the Giants passing game is, I mean, we're doing this on camera, so y'all would never know, but it, it looks like their personnel is built out of a bunch of dudes that look like me. I'm 5'9". I mean, <laughs> exactly. so I, that, that's that's my problem with that. <laughs> like when you draft guys that are like, it's it's Wandale Robinson and Paris Campbell out there now. I mean, so it's just like- they got, starting you, slot receiver. Right. I mean, Sterling Shepard's like tall-ish for a wide receiver, but it's just- you got this smaller end of dudes and most of them playing in the slot, like uh, most of them playing on the interior side of things. Do they want Daniel Jones to be an aggressive passer? That's my question because if they go out and grab guys that typically play on the interior and they keep guys like, I mean, Wanda Roberts coming back from energy injury, but they keep Sterling Shepard when they could have probably just let him walk in free agency if they if they wanted to. I thought his contract was get outable, but just they bring back all these guys that play in the intermediate parts of the field. They didn't really add a pass like a, a field stretcher if you want to consider Jalen Hyatt to be a field stretcher. But even there, I think if I remember correctly from OTAs, they're talking about putting him in the slot. So it's just I I believe like Daniel, I agree with you. I think he can be that guy. And actually, during the first uh, first two years uh, for Daniel Jones, he was one of the more efficient deep ball passers in the league. But I don't know if like Brian Dable, like when he came in, he just looked at his skill set and was just like, no, nah, we're not going to do this. We're just going to surround you with a bunch of Cole Beasley's and that that's all you're going to get. And then we'll just dink and dunk down the field and you know run you and Saquon to death. And that's all we're going to do. I think he can do it. But the team's personnel moves make me think they don't want him to do it yeah the giants are gonna be the one team they're gonna find a way to put five slot receivers out there and they're all gonna play the same position we'll see all that yep what? just Damn. all bunched formations just right next to the line <laughs> just that's all they got can, I, can you guys just i want to ask a question about daniel jones so everybody's talking about him throwing the ball i felt like his key to fantasy you know production was oh, him sure. running the ball yeah. So if he's going to have more weapons than you know Isaiah Hawkins or the different guys you're talking about and they're throwing out there last year, is it going to be you know the same kind of production? Because if he's going to be asked to throw the ball a little bit more, is that going to take away from his ability to you know the legs? And that's what pretty much carried him last year for fantasy value. That's a good point. My concern though is there was a lot of window dressing involved in that offense. Uh, it, I forget the exact number, but at least from a rate standpoint, 
The Giants had at least the highest rate of pre-snap motion. They were using the highest rates of just exotic formations, like three tight ends or uh, putting two running backs out, but having them lined up in uh, in just like odd like odd splits or positions in the backfield. So it was a ton of just like misdirection. And while I credit uh, Dayball and who's their OC? Oh my gosh! Like what is his name? And why did the guy that was like slamming his notebook oh, down? Yeah. Why am I drawing uh, a blank on that? Why am I drawing a blank on that? Either way, it'll come to me later. I'm gonna be like, I'll just like blurt the name out, and we won't even be talking about the Giants anymore because that's just how my mind operates. But that's but that's my problem is that they had to do so much like game planning around their game plan. It's like this is what we want to do, but we have to make the defenses think we're gonna do this. It's my opposite. It's my Thank just you. There, thank you. <laughs> uh, that was gonna bother me the rest of the night. Uh, but they had to do so much around uh, the subterfuge for creating their game plan that I'm just wondering if they just want to stick to that. And, uh, and I don't know if maybe Daniel Jones, he might still be a rusher, but I'm just wondering what their passing game plan is going to look like just because they had to window dress so much of it. It, it was gimmicky. In other words, it yeah. was, it was very, very gimmicky, very and much I, so. gimmicky offenses tend not to work the second year when teams got tape on you. So that's just where I'm going to get curious. And that's where I think we see the real true colors of Daniel Jones. Now, do I think he'll still be a streaming option because of his rushing as Chris brought up here? Yes. 100%. Now you're not drafting him in one quarterback leagues, but I do think he's a mid-level QB too. And what we went off last year and I, you know, I banked some DFS off of this. When he played against a defense that was 20th or worse against rushing quarterbacks, he finished in the top 12 each of those games. Now, it was only four of them, but that as he did it every time. So I think we can base it off of that again. If you want Daniel Jones, a streaming quarterback, sure. But if you redraft leagues, best ball, you're, you know, you're not really looking to draft him, and you're not in best ball. You're looking to take him very, very low as a backup quarterback. Chris, I have a question. Uh, Chris D, that is, sorry. I have a question for you. Um, What in the hell are the Washington Commanders thinking with Sam Howell? You're not impressed with the one game that he did well, and that's supposed to put, you know, he's already earned himself a starting position. And because they also liked him in college and that because he fell into them in the fifth round, they thought that was a steal. I, I just think this is a team that's, you know, looking for their quarterback in the future. Um, this team, you know, is, is all, first thing I was going to be sold shortly or has been, you know, already agreed to be sold. Uh, yeah, I think, I think officially looking, they have that all worked out now. I think that they're looking to try to, you know, make do with what their roster is, what Ron Rivera wanted to do for his last hurrah, I believe, was try to keep that defense together. They brought back the defensive tackle to Payne. They paid him big money. They paid the different guys around him. And they're trying to, you know, look at that um, a blueprint of trying to, like, not make your quarterback the priority. So much what Atlanta's looking at right now, where they're trying to spring use all their resources, all the other players, and not paying their quarterback. So I think Washington had, you know, didn't have a lot of cap space, didn't have a lot of flexibility, and right now didn't have a whole lot of options where they thought that maybe they could upgrade with being able to keep the different guys they wanted to keep. So I think this is a team that's, you know, hoping that you know, beyond hope that Sam Howell can be something good. I'm not a Sam Howell fan. I wasn't, you know, a big fan of North Carolina. I know people talk about his arm strength. Um, I think that he played solid. His arm strength like Daniel Jones' arm strength. Like, <laughs> like come on. I, I'm like I said, I'm not I'm not a Sam Howell fan. So I would definitely he might have a little better arms, you know, Daniel Jones. I will maybe give him a little bit more credit than that. But I think this guy is a, a guy that's you know, 
not going to necessarily knock it out of fantasy, but I do think what you can see, Dan, is maybe a similar production as a Daniel Jones did last year because Sam Howell's not afraid to tuck it and run it sometimes. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to let this guy kind of use the, use, lose his legs, with the receivers they have, it's going to be hard to kind of key on him. So if he scrambles around, he might have some decent value. I don't think he's going to have a huge upside necessarily. But we saw Sam Darnold a couple of years ago with Carolina be able to use his legs a little bit and kind of create that way and have some fantasy value. Sam Howell has some similar skill set, maybe able to do the same thing with Washington. Oh, he's going to be a value DFS player for me, believe me, because when they play the Eagles and the Cowboys, they're getting absolutely destroyed. I'm going to collect all those you know garbage time points I possibly can. But we, let's, let's talk about Sam Howell's. I got a stat line from that game. 11 of 19, so a 50, almost 8% completion percentage. The reason people went nuts is because he had the 35 yards rushing for the touchdown, and then he got his, he's got his name up on a fantasy board that way. It ain't going to be pretty. And for the wide receivers, we're going to get into them in just a little bit, but ugh, I don't want to spend any more time talking about Sam Howell. Let's just move on <laughs> to the running backs. Uh, we we got Saquon Barkley, who I still coined the, the top man of the NFC East until he's knocked off otherwise, but I'm looking at Tony Pollard. I'm going to be curious to see what he's able to do this year if he is, in fact, healthy towards the beginning of the season. But for now, with Saquon, there, there's only one question. We know what Saquon is. He's tremendous. He's a great talent. But can he stay healthy a second year in a row? And I, I know, I know it's deja vu. This is everything we had to talk about with Saquon last year. Do we know how great he is? Could he stay healthy? Do we trust he'll stay healthy? He's under the 1500 touch mark. He is 26, not 27. Those numbers would indicate to me that he's got a puncher's chance of that being the case, that we can trust that Saquon can do it for a second season in a row. I don't feel great about it. Personally, I'll tell you right now, the data tells me I should be fine. But when I look at Saquon being a mid first round pick, which right now he is, I get a little queasy inside if I really, really want to do it or not. But Chris Allen, what do you think? I think you should still continue to draft him as such. Just from a workload standpoint, uh, efficiency was a little bit tailed off as compared to like past seasons uh, from a yards per contact after attempt, uh, force miss tackle rate. Uh, we didn't see like the Saquon from let's say like the 2019-ish like time frame. Wasn't that dude. But from a team workload perspective, being able to take on, let's say, a 70-ish percent like rushing share in the critical situations that really like denote you being like a bell cow back. Like, are you taking over the uh, are you the like the majority shareholder when you're like in third down and like short yard situations? Saquon Barkley was that. Uh, once you get into the red zone, are you carrying like most of the load like for your team from a running back touch perspective? Saquon was definitely that. And are you actually accruing or like earning over, let's say, a 10 to 12-ish percent target share? Because I use 10 to 12 percent because that's about like the Joe Mixon line. And so if we think that he's a better like receiver, at least target earner than Joe Mixon, then he's probably doing pretty daggone good. And that's where and like Saquon Bark was at the 16, 17-ish percent range. And that was top six in the league. So if he's getting the majority of the touches getting most of the touches once they get into the red zone as not as often as we might think, because, or at least we don't think it's going to be because it's Daniel Jones operating the offense. And he's also a part of the passing game. Then yes, I guess my main concern, and this goes back to the point we were talking about earlier, they had it in all these slot guys. So where are these targets supposed to go? If Daniel Jones mm-hmm. continued to pepper the short and intermediate parts of the field with all these new guys that they brought in, is Saquon going to continue to get the same number of targets? He'll probably still lead the uh, Giants' backfield in targets, but overall targets, if this is an offense that's already going to at least lean run-centric, I won't say they're run-heavy, but they were bottom 10, bottom 12, and pass rate over expectation just this past season. If they, they 
Jalen Hyatt, uh, like Paris Campbell, and like you know, uh, Wandale Robinson, he comes back, Sterling Shepard, blah, 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 blah. And Darren Waller, of course. So if all those guys are getting those short area targets, is Saquon Barkley going to get his? Like I, that's that's my only concern about Barkley's workload profile for 2023. I guess for me, and Daniel, maybe you can help me out with this one. The way I'm kind of looking at it more so is that is he worth the pick on paper? Absolutely, 100%. But because I question his ability to stay healthy two seasons in a row, I find myself leaning more towards, because the area he's going, we're talking about Devontae Adams, Tyreek Hill, maybe Jamar Chase, depending on how your draft goes, Cooper Cup, kind of be available in that range. I feel like I leaned more towards the wide receivers there. What about you? When it comes to the conversation of who I'd rather choose, I think I lean a little bit more towards the wide receivers just because if I'm having any hesitations on an RB1, I really want to make sure I'm getting my first pick with somebody that I have full confidence in and someone that will be yes. consistently good and you know is going to show up. I'm not going to have any doubts about, oh, is Tyreek Hill going to show up this season or anything? Because most likely he will. And if he doesn't, okay, like that's very unusual. Unlike Saquon Barkley is like, oh, okay, like he can slip up, he might get hurt. And I don't want to have to necessarily worry about that on a first round pick. And so I think I'd just hold off, maybe see what's around second round instead and kind of go from there. Yeah. We're on the same minds on this one. Chris, help me out with Tony Pollard, man. What's a realistic workload for him without a Zeke? Because honestly, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I still think Zeke wants up signing with this team. Now I still think if, even if he does, he would, very much be the backup running back. I think we would see a, a we, we've seen Tony Pollard kind of catch up and then eclipse him last season. I think that gap would continue to grow, uh, but it, of course it would cut down what we think Tony Pollard potentially could have. But for now, Zeke's not on the team. So Chris, when you look at Tony Pollard, what is your realistic expectation for him? Which Chris, that one? Oh, uh, sorry, yeah, Christy. Sorry, yes. Yeah, uh, I think Tony Pollard's a guy that, you know, you still look for the upside. You do think he should be more of the featured back than he has been in the past. But I do have concerns. Is there going to be a huge upside? Um, you know, if they're going to look to throw the ball a bit more, especially early in the season, you're going to have, you know, I don't know how he's going to come back and be as explosive right off the bat. We haven't seen too many running backs return from an injury, you know, four months ago, as Chris, um, the other Chris on the other side was discussing earlier. Um, the, he was, you know, it's going to be kind of interesting to see, does he have that kind of burst? We saw J.K. Dobbins in a different injury, but he didn't look at that burst till the end of the season. Mm -hmm. You see a lot of running backs when they try to get back in the sheet. Even Cam Akers, when he got hurt, he wasn't really kind of the same guy till later on in the season. So is Tony Pollard going to hit the ground running off the bat? And then with a plethora of different weapons you have in the passing attack, is he going to be the guy that was kind of a big play guy out of the backfield? Because you have a you know, Brandon Cooks now. You have different guys that kind of Michael Gallup more healthy. And if there's going to be the situation where they're looking to kind of move the ball around the different guys, and let's be honest, you know, there was, there was a reason they took Tony Pollard off the field sometimes in passing situations because he isn't the greatest pass protector. So is it going to kind of, you know, cut into his you know, touches there? Now, I still think Tony Pollard is going to be a fantastic guy when he gets healthy, but he's probably going to max out of the you know, 15 to 17 touch guy. He's never going to be a bell cow back. He's not really built to be. Now he's explosive, so he has the kind of skill sets that can make you the big plays and kind of make up for it. But I think this is a guy that you're going to see, you know, more of a lower rand RB1 as, as, as a ceiling, um, but probably more of an RB2 because you just don't really know from game to game, is he going to get you that touchdown? Is he going to be able to be the physical guy? And maybe they use a Ronald Jones. Maybe they use, you know, if he comes back or whoever they kind of might be able to sign 
you know, as the season kind of progresses, plenty of running backs still out there, by the way. Um, and that's where I do have, you know, interest to see if they're going to kind of not utilize him in short order situations or goal line carries. Does he really have that ability to kind of carry your team with explosive plays? Yes. But, you know, from week to week, I do question that. Yeah, he's been built off of efficiency. That's a guy that's been 5.2 yards a carry. That's going to probably come down a little bit if he's going to start getting this bell cow type of workload that he potentially could be slotted into if the roster, see all the old quotes I'm using here because I don't really believe it's going to happen, <laughs> but if he's actually going to slot in what he could be in today's in today's format of what they had for him. I mean, the, the pass catching thing, I don't worry about it because a man named Dalton Schultz is no longer there. That's a lot of targets in the middle of that, op- that field that really opens up. So ultimately, I'm not really worried about Tony Pollard getting enough target share. It's can you hold up? And what was funny to me when, I, when I'm going through this, and Chris, we did our, our, our Chris Diaz, we did our NFL rookie you know mock draft, and we did our NFL draft special. And I'm going through all the running backs and how small they all were. I look at Tony Pollard's numbers, like six foot two and nine, like you're actually not that small, but he is built lean. And I think that's what we're keying on when we see it in the eye test. But let's move on to the Philadelphia Eagles, shall we? Because they get really, really interesting. First of all, hats off to Harry Roseman. He was just, you know, just, I'm sorry, Howie Roseman. Fantastic. Fantastic job. Offseason draft. He somehow made a Super Bowl team uh, even better. Good. Good job by you. Great trade for this DeAndre Swift thing. Now, from a fantasy aspect, though, I think people are starting to blow this maybe a little bit out of proportion. We have questions that need to be answered. What do we think this rotation is really going to be uh, with him and Rashad Penny? Now, I know Penny can't hardly stay healthy, but he'll probably be healthy for at least week one. No, and we know the Eagles like to have a carousel at the running back position. My other question is this. And this surprised me. DeAndre Swift, for his career at this point, only averages about nine carries a game. Why is he fantasy gold? Because he averages five targets every... And it's it's so consistent how he averages five targets every single game, too. But then I look at the Eagles. And this is a team that, on average, only gets the ball to their running backs as a unit five times a game in the passing game. And they've had Miles Sanders. They've had Kenneth Gainwell. You have guys who are good running backs catching the ball out of the backfield. So the talent hasn't been the issue. They just flat out don't do it. If DeAndre Swift gets stricken and doesn't get 100% of the targets for the running backs, what happens then? Chris, Chris, oh, Chris A., what, what do you think? So this goes back to part of the conversation we were having earlier about what should we expect for Jalen Hurts? And then, of course, that extend, and of course that extends to the Brian Johnson conversation and then extends to what should we expect for the entire Eagles offense. And like I was saying earlier, like there has to be some sort of progression for this offense. There has to be some sort of evolution for this offense, given the way that I mean, teams kind of understand. And to your point, I mean, they were dead last last season in the rate of targets that were uh, given to like their running backs. I mean, they just weren't doing it. Like Miles Sanders, Boston Scott, Kenny Gainwell, whatever, it didn't matter. Like the pass catchers are just the tight ends and the wide receivers. That's it. Running backs are not like a critical part of their passing game. But maybe, and this is why they went ahead and added a guy like DeAndre Swift, maybe they want to change that. Maybe they want to have Jalen Hurts turn into this pocket, uh, pocket passer that's actually being like able to check the ball down instead of tucking it and running. Not all the time but enough in order to keep the offense like still moving the chains and still being efficient. And since you do have a, a, a running back, at least one of the two running backs that can, that profiles as an early down grinder and Rashad Penny, you can use him in those particular situations. Hopefully he doesn't get injured doing that, but you could also use a guy like Deandre Swift 
in the not necessarily short yards, but also in the two minute and also in obvious passing downs to be the guy that could be, well, if you just still want to run the ball and run between the tackles, you can hand off to, to DeAndre Swift. Or do, if you want to have him run out into the flats, do some sort of wheel route or whatever uh, route that you want to use, considering Swift can run at least a decent route tree, you can have that as an option as well. So you essentially take Miles Sanders' salary and split it into two guys. Like one guy in Rashad Penny that can do the early down grinder stuff and then another guy that can do the pass catching stuff because DeAndre Swift, to his credit, he was top six last season amongst all running backs in yards per route run. So he is an efficient pass catcher. And so if that is the new wrinkle that they want to add to their offense, Swift provides that function. And if they want to still keep the efficient running game in place, then Rashad Penny, assuming health, also provides that function. So I see, at least in my mind, that's how I see that split working out for 2023. Well, for DeAndre Swift right now is his ADP and the FFPC going for RB22. He's going to need them to make that adjustment, and maybe they will. Let's give ahead, though, the Washington, who is kind of interesting in their oh, own damn. right. Oh, go ahead, damn, real quick, I was going to say, you know, Kenneth Gainwell is not going anywhere. Just to, just to kind of remind everybody. Yeah, yeah. Yep. He, he started the Super Bowl last year. He had a good season, and everything I've heard is offseason. They continue to like him as their back, so... We saw Boston Scott, you know, Danny Todd commented about this the, the rotation in the backfield that the Eagles like to use. They have gone three deep, and that's kind of what limited some of the guys they've had in the past. So I am, you know, curious. It might be upgrades talent-wise, definitely, but it doesn't really kind of materialize for these guys to be all productive. And just, you know, quick, you know, Chris, one of the things I, I do have questions about Jalen Hurts is, Kenny consistently checked the ball out of the backfield. That was something they tried to do early on when the coaching staff got there for the Colts, and they quickly phased that out when they realized – that that's not really the bread and butter for him to kind of utilize. And I'm wondering now, I mean, and to your point, Chris, I'm wondering if that's the thing that they're just, they're going to ask of him for this season is that like, yes, we've, we've got these other pass catchers that are here. Like, you know, AJ Brown, like wide receiver, like, like elite, like wide receiver one, Devonta Smith. I mean, outside of, I think the Bengals duo, you're hard pressed to find like a one, two punch at wide receiver across the entire league. But if you also like, if, like in with Dallas Goddard being like the third wide receiver, like they, they still need to have something else that's going to be a part of that offense this year. And I'm just wondering if that's going to be that thing that they ask of Jalen Hurts this year, because he's like since his time at Alabama, he's like consistently improved every single year and tacked on this new idea or this new concept or this new mechanic to his game. And like my thought is that at least that's what they're going to ask of him for this year is that like, not, I don't know if it's going to be just because of the contract thing, like we just paid you or we're trying to pay you $50 million a year. So we want you to like not get injured. Like we just watched Josh Allen get injured or shoot. Remember what was that one year that Patrick Mahomes went up dislocating his knee, also trying to like run through a pile of dudes. We don't want that to happen to you. So we're giving you more pass catching options. So throw to this running back or do something different instead of trying to plow through six or seven guys in order to get a first down. It's just, but at least I think, in my mind, that makes sense. But is he capable of doing it? I guess we'll have to wait and maybe get some training camp videos, that sort of thing, in order to see if it actually comes to fruition. Yeah, to totally agree. Uh, I want to talk with the Washington Commanders, though. We got Antonio Gibson. We got Brian Robinson. And look, last year was just, uh, it, was, it was, look, it was brutal. Okay. It was brutal. And this, Chris, is, is why I said earlier, I don't know if it gets much worse than Scott Turner because watching Brian <laughs> Robinson smack it to the middle of the line of scrimmage for three yards, all three downs was just mind numbing. And it's funny to me, and I posted this on social media just a couple days ago when Robert Verge is making all these comments about when well, Toto Gibson's really impressive in uh, receiving. 
like no shit. Like, <laughs> like, like, where have you been? So you're the ones who drafted receiver. <laughs> yeah, like, like, where have you been at? So now I'm looking at this from a fantasy standpoint, and right now Brian Robinson is still going of Antonio Gibson, but Danielle, I have Antonio Gibson here in front of Brian Robinson because I'm like, look, knows no McKissick, so the pathway for him to finally be allowed to catch the ball, I guess, should be there. And look at Brian Robinson. I mean, is this guy anything more than a 3.9 yards per carry runner? Because I don't think he was anything more than that coming out of college. I don't think, you know, what happened to him, you know, before the season started last year, of course, was, you know, ridiculous and i'm glad he recovered it's a great story but i don't people are trying to say that that slowed him down i don't see any difference from what i saw of him in college so what are you making in this backfield i see robinson as the same running back that we've seen in the past i feel like he hasn't necessarily had any steady improvement it seems like it seems like he's kind of consistently having those 3.9 average yards and that's what he's made for and that's okay that's just his his kind of ceiling, I think. And I have a lot of hope Antonio Gibson could do really well this season. And I think if the commanders are smart about their playmaking, that they should rely a lot of their offense on Antonio Gibson and the running backs, as I don't necessarily trust their quarterback situation. I think they should get Gibson more involved in the play. Obviously, he's a very talented player, even if he is running or playing a more wide receiver type of a role it seems like I think no matter what I think he's a very talented player and I think they should be getting him more involved I I think they will and I'll top I'll top it off with this I have Antonio Gibson right now inside my top 32 Gibson greater than Brian Robinson I think he might actually surprise some people this season hey guys it's wide receiver time <laughs> I love C.D. Lamb. It seems greedy to ask for more out of C.D. Lamb, but frankly, if he's going to go from that second-level wide receiver to the number one tier, and for me this year, maybe you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think there's a big six. I think you're looking at a Justin Jefferson, a Jamar Chase, a Cooper Cup, a Devontae Adams, a Tyreek Hill, and I'm, I'm forgetting Stephon Diggs. That's the big six. That's what I'm looking at. And then that next tier down, I see C.D. Lamb, I see A.J. Brown, who we're going to talk about in just a second. And I think there's still just a barrier for a guy like a C.D. Lamb to be able to break into that big six. And from my calculations personally, I would have to ask him to get 20 to 30 more targets, I think, for that to really truly be able to happen. And I feel like that's greedy, and I feel like it won't happen. So, Christy, what do you think with C.D. Lamb? Does he get there, or is he just that, that next tier two wide receiver one? I think he's got a chance to get there. Look, I love C.D. Lamb coming out of college. I love the talent skill set. And one of the things that was a little disappointing last year, he wasn't super efficient necessarily, and that was kind of disappointing on his part. But you saw when Dalton Schultz went out, C.D. Lamb was the priority to get the ball. And one of the things I do kind of, you know, I'm interested to see with Dalton Schultz not no longer there, is C.D. Lamb become the security blanket with Dak Prescott. Like I talked about earlier, I'm not convinced Dak Prescott can feed multiple guys. I haven't seen that in a couple of years now. So what I do see is that that first read's open, especially if it's underneath and it's easy for him to kind of get the ball to. He pulls the trigger and looks for those guys. If they're going to move C.D. Lamb around, which I would imagine they should be doing with Gallup kind of should be out the outside, you should have kind of maybe move Cooks, Cooks around a little bit too. But I think C.D. Lamb is the kind of the chess piece that you can kind of feature. You can utilize different formations. You can kind of be that kind of, you know, you talk to the tight end position. He can kind of be that security blanket, whether it's underneath or deep. 
And CeeDee Lamb can, you know, make things happen if he catches the ball as well. So as long as he's getting his targets, now it's a matter of him kind of being more explosive, which we know, I think we all think CeeDee Lamb could be explosive. He hasn't, you know, really dominated that way yet. But I think there's a good chance this year could be with one of the better receivers around him getting some attention. He's going to see a lot more single coverage. He's going to have a lot more, you know, be able to get in the slot sometimes and have a hard time where defenses are going to be able to take him away. And if, you know, Tony Pollard comes back, one of the things he adds is another speed guy, you know, underneath another guy who can kind of take attention. So I do think there's an opportunity for CeeDee Lamb to kind of see a lot of mismatches. He makes one or two guys miss. You got big plays. Um, so I, I don't think his skill set is much different than the top guys you talked about. Now it's a matter of him kind of, you know, staying focused week in, week out, which he has a chance to do. And he, he wants to get paid soon. So I wouldn't imagine he might probably show out this year. I do like guys in contract years. It always makes me smile just a little bit more. When I'm, <laughs> I'm going to put this out there, though. And I'll get I'll take immediate reactions, but it is a little bit of a teaser for next week because we're talking AFC East next week. I do have Garrett Wilson ranked ahead of CD Lamb and AJ Brown. I have him as that wide receiver Ooh. seven overall. Wow, big balls. Reactions? Yeah. Okay. Big balls. Uh, okay. <laughs> if you say so. We'll I preview it more next week. I'll ha- I have all kinds of details for you guys. Aaron Rodgers might want like another next 20 week. receivers by then, Dan. We don't even know. I mean, they already go seven deep paying guys like $12 million. Dollars Packers, guys, I don't think it matters because none of them can even get on the field anymore anyway. So you can roll, roll all the Randall Cobbs you want. It doesn't matter <laughs> me whatsoever. Uh, let's give ahead of the Eagles. I was going to talk about Gallup and Brandon Cooks, but we're pressed for time. So let's give ahead of the Eagles situation. Let's talk about A.J. Brown and he's another guy where I have to question, can you stay healthy? This is the first time he stayed healthy last year since his rookie season because he does have that chronic knee issue that he has to deal with. And of course, it's, you know, injury impossible to predict, but it is something that's on my mind when I'm talking about taking a player at his ADP level, which right now is wide receiver eight because consensus has CD Lamb and then AJ Brown there at wide receiver eight. So you're talking about definitely investing a high second round pick maybe depending, you know, a very high second round to pick, depending upon how the receivers go this year, because a lot of people are looking to hammer hard on that big six that I just talked about not that long ago. Um, and the other caveat, I'll throw this, and I'll, I'll put Devonta Smith into this conversation as well. When I look at Devonta Smith, who his ADP is a few spots lower, and I can get him an entire round, maybe two later, he's not really a two to A.J. Brown. He's more like a 1B. So would you spend the capital, Chris A., on A.J. Brown if you felt like you could just get Devonta Smith a round or two later? Uh, I would. I tend to lean towards actually spending the capital on Devonta Smith. I don't think that that's too outlandish to say at this point, uh, just because of the, the, the types of targets that each are going to receive. A.J. Brown, like while he does receive more of the downfield targets, like we, I don't know how many highlights we've seen of him just completely moss and cats and like wind up like just tumbling into the end zone at some point. Like just awesome to watch. Devonta Smith got those two. He got that what catch that was actually not a catch during the playoff game. Like I think when they played against the, the 49ers, if I remember correctly, down the left sideline. But so Devonta Smith can create those highlight plays too. But also if you look at their stats once again to the red zone, not that not all that dissimilar between the two. I think they're only uh, they're split in terms of red zone targets. I think uh, AJ Brown had like 16 or 17. Devon Smith had 15. So it's like if I can get similar a similar workload, similar touch share, uh, but just maybe a half around or like whatever the delta is between their ADPs right now, and still I'm getting access to one of the better offenses in the league, attached to one of the better quarterbacks in the league, and as we've talked. I mean, there's a chance that this offense is going to take a step forward in terms of its password over expectation. 
then yeah, I would probably I would rather make that bet versus just saying AJ Brown, he's him, wide receiver one season, let's go. I mean, just thinking about it strategically, it makes some sense to go with the guy that's going to get similar touch share at a cheaper price. Yeah, it's kind of what reflecting to me too. But either way, look, I'm not saying that you can go wrong spending a second round pick on AJ Brown. Absolutely that's not. not what I'm saying. Hmm. But Devonta Smith going a round or two later, mm, that's that's quite enticing. It. I need to go to another position. Yeah. Okay. Um, I was going to ask a commander's question again to Danielle, and I realized I've been asking her all commanders questions. So <laughs> Danielle, I'm going to give you a Giants question instead. That's my bad. Okay. Uh, okay. Okay. We look at the wide receivers for the Giants, and right now, according to ESPN. Cause they're the, like one of the few that have like a, you know, I guess a projection depth chart out right now. Um, it's Paris Campbell in the slot. <laughs> it's Isaiah Hodgins on the outside and it's Darius Slayton on the outside. It's the three starting receivers. I don't think that's really what it's going to look like when we actually get in the training camp. But as of right now, that's what it looks like. You add in Jalen Hyde to that mix. You add in Wandale Robinson. who spent a second round pick on last year into that mix. Is there any receiver you or I, let me phrase it this way? Which receiver do you think has the best chance to be something on our fantasy radar this season? Oh, this is such a hard question for me because I feel like they are all very similar but very unique in their own ways. Um, however, she, he always I, said was receiver. He did say wide receiver. Just say Darren Waller. <laughs> very true. Very true. <laughs> And Chris um, with the save. <laughs> really saved me there. <laughs> um, however, if I had to choose, I think I like Wandale Robinson a little bit more than any of the other wide receivers. I just feel like I have a little bit more hope, and I think I've seen a little bit more from him than others. I think last year I was just – I was subtly impressed. Like, I don't think he had the best season by any means, but I he still was very shocking to me. And I noticed as we were doing these weekly episodes, if we continued to bring up his name, I was like, man, we're starting to talk about him a little bit more. And he was all right, but I feel like this could be a better season for him. And I think if you were to choose any of those guys to look forward to a little bit more than any of the other ones, I would personally choose Robinson. Obviously, I'm not Daniel Jones. <laughs> Hey, Dan, yeah. I was, I was going to say, it, it's going to depend on the Sterling Shepard get on the field because we mm. all know Sterling Shepard on, on, on that team. Daniel Jones was for nobody else. Yeah, yeah. that was just about I was well, going to lead into two things. One, Sterling Shepard has always been his favorite when he's healthy and on the field. But number two, more importantly, than Sterling Shepard, it's whoever's the freaking slot receiver. So if Paris Campbell does wind up being the starting slot receiver, it's going to be Paris Campbell. If it's Wandell Robinson, it'll be Wandell Robinson. Why? Because Daniel Jones loves him some middle part of the field. But let's go to the commanders. Now, we all know I have sustained uh, disdain for Sam Howell, just like I do Daniel Jones. But unlike the Giants, the commanders actually have wide receivers I care about, like Terry McLaurin, who I want to see do really well. And God, I, I really wish he didn't sign the extension with the commanders. Like, please go somewhere. You might have a quarterback just, just once in your life. I'd love to see what would happen. Christy, help me out with this thing. When you look at this situation, what confidence do you have in a guy like a Terry McLaurin? And what confidence do you have that more than just McLaurin could even produce? Because you have McLaurin who's going inside the top 30. You have Jahan Dotson, who a lot of people want to take inside the top 48-ish and take a shot on him in that top 50 range. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, look, one guy, maybe. Two guys, mm -mm, no way for me. What do you think? I mean, I might, I might look at two guys. I think that, you know, looking at 
this team in general, Terry McLaurin was definitely a priority to get the ball to. When they paid him this money, they also made an effort to make sure he was going to be featured and kind of utilized. So he's going to see his target share. And he had a pretty decent game of the guys who you know, were able to do decent with that 11-19. Terry McLaurin was kind of a guy they looked for. We said Tyler Henneke give him the ball. We see different guys. You know, he's he's poor guy has been through the kind of the gambit of quarterbacks while he's been in Washington, but he's always kind of been semi-productive. Now, why I do have some concerns when you're talking about Dan is what is the upside, particularly touchdown potential? Tim McLaurin's a very good receiver, but is he going to be scoring double digit touchdowns? Probably not. Um, the other oh, thing I think I look at is no, he hasn't. And the other thing I look at is with Dotson, I think Dotson's going to be a guy that they showed a lot of priority last year to try to involve him. I think you're going to see him kind of be the guy that they, they do like to both of those guys. So I think this Washington team's going to be bad enough, as you kind of alluded to earlier, that they're going to be able to throw the ball a lot in garbage time, and you're going to be able to see these receivers be semi productive. So I think that you know, that value is not horrible. If there's other guys on the board that I think maybe are comparable, would I lean to somebody else? Yes. But I think Terry McLaurin is still a guy that they're going to look to you know, feature week in, week out. I, like I said earlier, I do think Eric Bannon tends to be more pass-happy than he is a guy who likes to run the ball all the time. I've never, I've never seen him kind of showing that. Um, so I do think this is going to be a team that looks to kind of get those receivers the ball. And at least these guys can kind of make guys miss. Terry McLaurin a fantastic guy across the middle. One thing that will give Sam Howell some credit for is he can throw the ball okay the middle range um and he will pull the trigger i should say he'll pull it so in this league a lot of guys don't you know aren't willing to kind of pull that middle 15 20 you know 15 to 17 yard throw he will and i think tim McLaurin kind of lives off of that and can get open off of that so i think there's a chance for these both guys to be productive but like i said if there's somebody else i like more or closer on the board i lean to somebody else I, I guess the real question is this and honestly i don't know if i know the answer to this on top of my head or how i even feel about it but is Sam Howell greater or equal to Taylor Heineke? I guess that's more the question here. I'm going to have to go greater because I think he has a better arm. When it, like I said, those middle throws, he actually can push the ball across the middle. He could throw it to 15, 17 yards. I think Taylor Heineke was pretty much a one-trick pony. Because if that's the case, then you can talk me into having John Dotson along with Terry McLaurin, having them both top 50 and not being too squeamish about it. Let's move to the tight ends, though. <laughs> Well, since uh, Chris Allen had to say on Darren Waller, I'll just hit, hit him with the Darren Waller <laughs> question anyway. So Waller takes over again. Yes, we expect him to be the lead receiver for a team. And the last time we saw this, he got to be in the top three, you know, with, with before he was dealing with injuries and before Devontae Adams came along. Does he have that kind of upside again this time with this team? And keep in mind, this is a guy who's never had double-digit touchdowns in spite of being a target hog when he was the lead guy. And not a lot of times you kind of need that as a tight end, especially as they start to get older. What do you think? Where is your value for Darren Waller? For me, I think about, I wouldn't say top three, but in the higher end of, of uh, tight end. So it's like top six-ish range. So after you get through, uh, like, so who are the guys? I mean, of course, you got like Travis Kelsey. You've got Mark Andrews. I mean, TJ Hawkinson uh, would probably go like ahead of him. But then like shortly after that, I'm trying to think of guys that would really want to have ahead of him. I mean, Kittle, Pitts. Goddard and then Waller. So like tight end six, tight end seven, somewhere in there, it seems fair. But to your point about what we need from tight ends, the types of targets, types of production we need from them, the yardage, of course, you're going to want a guy that you you at least feel comfortable about starting on a week-to-week basis. I don't know how comfortable, as excited as we are about guys like David and Joku, are you really that excited to just like, you know, slot him into your lineup like week in and week out with the Browns offense being more run heavy? I am not, but 
if you are capable of looking uh, of uh, rostering a tight end that's going to get more of the targets once they get into the red zone, that's where I can see Darren Waller cleaning up. Because think about how much they tried to make Daniel Bellinger a thing last season, I mean, just as a rookie. And now they bring in a guy like Darren Waller who does command targets, was capable of being efficient with them, like when uh, when he was a part of the when he was a part of the Raiders, and that was with I would say a quarterback just as mediocre as as Daniel Jones. So if we're assuming that uh, that uh, Darren Waller is probably going to wind up leading the team in targets, or at least challenge the lead for targets amongst all of the pass catchers, and on top of that, he should be getting most of the red zone targets as often as they do get into the red zone. That at least for me, that his value in, as the tight end six, tight end seven is fair. But at the same time, I could see a scenario where he outkicks that ADP just over the fact that he winds up falling into the end zone six, seven, eight times somewhere in there. And that's really all you need to be like a mid range tight end. Yeah. So we see him the same way. I actually have so that that tier you talked about of Pitts, of Kittle, of Goddard, and Waller there, and all that same tier. I have him ahead in that tier so i actually have darren waller at tight end four as it stands right now just because he has the potential the upside of being consistent because of the target share and being that the offense needs we just talked about how many short receivers they have they need a red zone presence outside of saquon barkley it should be him i know he hasn't always come to fruition before but it's hard for me to think he's not gonna get in the end zone like you said six or seven times but darren waller my point more here is that he's my cutoff point because right now his adp is at the tight end seven if I want to have a tight end who has the potential to be in my lineup every single week without me having to sweat it, him and Pat Fryermuth with where they're going right now, Pat Fryermuth kind of around the tight end eight situation, though that's my cutoff point of like, I got to make sure I get at least a tight end of your value or greater because otherwise I'm going to be back there in the back end, pulling my hair out, trying to stream tight ends all together. And that's just been a nightmare scenario over the past uh, how many ever the years we've been playing fantasy football, quite frankly. <laughs> uh, we'll go to Chris D and we'll wrap this. Nope. No, no, no. I'm going to go to Danielle. Cause I'm not going to give her another commander's question. We're going to go to Danielle Ca- Cowboys Cowboys. I'm sorry, I'm tra- trying not to do it to you. So we got Luke Schoenmacher and Jake Ferguson. I know. So juicy. This is more probably of a dynasty question than anything else. But when I look at Schoenmacher, I was like his blocking prowess. And I'm not a big fan of Ferguson. I was like, I kind of wonder if he, could start this year. Now, I'm going to throw this in there because latest news is he's dealing with some plantar fasciitis issues and OTAs. And if that does crop up in the beginning of training camp, that could probably take away any opportunity of him being able to start. But let's say he's 100% healthy and he is expected to be fine at the beginning of the year as it stands right now. What do you, what do you think? Because we talked about Schultz. He's been a safety blanket. And before Schultz was Jason Witten. Now, those are two very good tight ends, but Dak's used to going to a tight end. So I think it's something worth talking about. What do you think, Danielle? I think it would be really interesting if they did start Schumacher right off of the bat. I think it would be really great for him to just kind of get thrown out there. I mean, I think he's a pretty reliable tight end, and I think he is very talented. And I think that if they just kind of start him off rolling and they out there quicker the better, I think he's going to do really well, I honestly think, in this Cowboys offense. And I think that, I mean, between the two of them, it's kind of a toss-up. I think they're very similar in certain aspects i don't think you can go wrong with starting either one of these tight ends but if he is fully healthy i'd love to see luke make his debut i'm gonna be all all bored on the luke train as soon as he gets his opportunity everyone just kills him it's like oh he wasn't that great in michigan wasn't all that productive 
And there's this, I don't know why, I guess, I guess it's the people who don't really pay attention. There seems to be this idea out there that he's just a big white guy who blocks and doesn't have any, he's got good athleticism. Like he can run. And that's why I'm very intrigued by a guy like that, especially when you can block the way that you do, it guarantees you playing time and opportunity. I see him very much in the same vein of a Tyler Higby. Again, more of a di- more of a dynasty situation there to kind of keep your eye on more so than anything for this year's purposes. Uh, I'm not going to bother with Logan. Th- You're not drafting Logan Thomas. I don't want Logan Thomas in my dynasty league. I don't care about the- I don't care about their situation at all whatsoever. So let's get to the last segment of the show, which is the over unders for the season because we want to play some bets. So let's kick it off with the Eagles, shall we? Right now, line sitting, most sports books, this one's DraftKings in particular, 11 and a half over under, both minus 110s. So you're getting the same odds either way. When I personally look at the Eagles, I see a team that should be the number one team in the NFC. The number one seed in the NFC should probably have at least 13 wins. So I'm going with the over pretty confidently myself. We'll go with Chris Allen, Christy, and then Danielle. Over for me, without a doubt. Uh, most of the offensive continuity is in place. They do have some holes on their defense, uh, but if anything, for, for the from a fantasy standpoint, that could potentially lead to more shootouts. So that's more points for all of us that get gain exposure to the Eagles' offense. So yeah, I would take the over on eleven and a half. Christy, I'm gonna take. You said eleven and a half. Yeah. I'll take the over then. That's almost where my kind of cut off. I do think the Eagles, you know, this is not – division games are tough in the NFC East, and usually one of those teams, the Giants or Washington, usually steals a game where they can split one of those games. And then Dallas, I think, is going to be a team that can still be a pretty good team that can kind of hang around with the Eagles. So I do think there's a chance they can lose a couple games in division, and I think that's where it's going to get called close. But I do think the over, not much over. I like the 12, um, but I, I will go with the over. Okay, Danielle, we all four over? Yeah, I'm going with the over. I mean, oh, how can you not? She wanted to be contrary. You saw her face. Teams. Yeah. <laughs> how could you not? I mean, they're they're a great team, no matter what you say. I mean, they're filling up every hole. They're trying to, at least. They're trying to build a powerhouse team, and I think it's working. The depth is, is fantastic. Great point, Danielle. I mean, this is a team that can kind of sustain different injuries throughout their lineups and be able to keep rolling. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, let's go to the Giants. The line for them is at seven and a half. The over is even money at plus 100. The under is at minus 120. Now, I'd be off brand if I took the over here, so I'm going to take the under. <laughs> but uh, to be fair, I do have them at seven wins, so I have them basically right at that line myself. Chris, A. Eh? I'm taking the under uh, on this one. I do think that there's going to be at least some regression in place for them. Like we were talking about earlier, the amount of like the gimmickiness like to their offense uh, without them adding in like a true like number one type receiver to uh, to pair with Daniel Jones uh, just seems like that this is a prime spot for them to take a step back this season. So I, I take the under here. Christy. I'm also going with the under. I just, you know, I look at this Giants team. I think they're way more talented in a sense than they were last year. But I think last year was a fluke, and I don't believe in this team. So I will take definitely take the under. And Danielle? I'm going to take the over. I don't think mm-hmm. they're going to be much over, but I say like eight or nine, nine max, I think. Um, no. But, I mean, they're still a good team when you look at it. I mean, I think they're definitely going to regress because last year was – kind of shocking for them nobody really expected that but i don't think they're gonna be like necessarily a bad team by any means i think they'll be kind of perfectly mediocre and sit at eight or nine wins. 
Okay, okay. So we got three unders and one over on that one. Commanders, line for them, six and a half. The over at minus 120. The under is even money. That's a low line. We're talking about a 17-game season. So when I look at the Commanders and I'm trying to figure out their win total, my question becomes this. Does their defense recalibrate to what it was a couple of years ago? If it does, the over is easy for me on this one. But I hate Sam Howell. So I'm going to take the under and say they get six (laughs) games right there. The hate, the hate for Sam Howell. I'm going to take I'm going to take the over there. Uh, Looking at Eric Bieniemy's like first full season with Patrick Mahomes as the starter, uh, the Kansas City Chiefs, they were fifth in play action rate. And for folks that don't know, like play action is is essentially like a cheat code for quarterbacks in terms of boosting their efficiency. So if they try and incorporate a similar development plan for Sam Howell, just have them roll out, hit, let's say, Curtis Samuel, Jahan Doxson, Terry McLaurin, like any one of those guys on a shorter intermediate route, let them do the yards after the catch thing. This could turn into like a seven to eight win team. I think they could be efficient, take a small step forward. think almost like what I'm thinking for where the Giants could end up seven to eight ish wins. I think it's possible for the commanders. So I take the over here. Okay, Chris. D. I will also take the over. I don't think much over, but I, I agree with Chris. I think this is a team. I, I'm not looking at the offense necessarily to be kind of the, the changing point. What I think is going to be the changing point is the defense. I like what they did, this, particularly in the secondary. They have significantly upgraded. That team has, you know, a lot of guys who underachieved, particularly the defensive end who struggled and, you know, didn't get his, his option picked up. But I think this is a team that, you know, has good defensive talent, has the, some playmakers they added at the corner position. I love the forms coming in out of this draft. And I like you know their their identity where I think they know who they are in a sense, and that's Ron Rivera usually does good with teams that he knows who he's trying to be. That's a fair point, Danielle. I'm going to take the under for multiple reasons. One is I am so just not into this Commanders team at all. Second of all, they might have a great defense, but you need to be able to generate offense, and I don't think they can do that, especially led by our boy Sam. Oh yes, yeah, see, see, I like the it. Hate, like it. The hate is strong. <laughs> the hate is strong with this one. Uh, the Cowboys, last but not least. So the Cowboys line's a little bit wonky. So they kind of set it at nine and a half, but it, the over seems obvious, and they kind of had the odds set that way. Is at a minus one fifty-five? You're not getting great odds taking the over. The under is very good odds at plus one thirty-five. I have a very, I kind of wanted to take the unders for the value in this situation, but this Cowboys seems too talented, in my opinion, not to get the 10 wins in spite of what I think about Mike McCarthy as a play caller, which is not very good. But when I look at the talent of this team, compare it to the rest of the NFC conference, I don't see how they don't make 10 wins. That, that's just, so I'm going to take the over here. That, that's essentially where I'm at. If you were to, I know like for the most part, the Eagles probably, the Eagles almost have to have like the number one roster in the NFC. Cowboys have to be a close second in the NFC. Their defense is absolutely loaded. I mean, I, I would, if any offense should be terrified to go up against, if not their defensive front, their secondary is still just insane in terms of both their upfront talent and their depth. Tony Pollard is healthy and their running game is actually like comes on strong early in the year. Yeah. I think getting to 10 wins shouldn't be much of a stretch for them. I agree. Christy. I'm very tempted to go under um, because I hate the coaching staff and I hate the moves that they made in the coaching staff overall. 
I think the defense is good. I don't think this defense is all world defense. You know, Tri- Diggs gets a lot of credit for his picks, his interceptions, but you can beat him and you can beat him pretty consistently. And I like Gilmore, but Gilmore's a little older and he's not playing in the same defense mm-hmm. he played in, in in the Colts. So I think this is going to be a defense that you can kind of exploit if you spread them out and attack them that way. Having said that, and, you know, to your both your points, Dallas still has the best roster other than the Eagles and the NFC. And although they're Dallas and they find ways to kind of choke it out sometimes, I just feel like that roster is too talented compared to the rest of the, the conference for them not to win 10 games. All right. And Danielle finishes off. I got to go to the over. I mean, when you even look at the schedule, too, I mean, there's no way that they don't get 10 wins. If you don't with that yeah. schedule, then you got to change something around because something's not working. I mean, they'll get literally eight picks off of Sam Hell alone, right? Exactly. What am I saying? Yeah. This whole show here. That yeah. 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 That's One thing we won't that, hear is Sean Payton rumors. That is true. Hey guys, this was a great show. A lot of information. I know we went way over today, but that's what happens when you have a lot of things to go over and you're having a good time doing it. Chris Allen, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. What I want you to do is tell people where to follow you at and where, what kind of content you have coming up. soon. you want people to check out. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Chris Allen, FFWX. All of my content will be over at Matthew Berry's fantasy life, uh, doing some of the work in the newsletter, doing some behind the scenes work. But over the next few weeks, it is hot best ball season. Uh, folks like Pete Overzet, Dwayne McFarlane. I'm, I'm doing a weekly show with Ian Harditz where we just do a live best ball draft. So you can see me screw up and like burn $25 in real time. <laughs> but if you're interested into learning more about the strategy for best ball, that's where a lot of my content is going to be focused over the next month or so. Cause I really want to start to dive into how to build like optimal, like optimal lineups, especially for best ball mania four. So if you want to try and win what three, three and a half million dollars, yeah, come check out some of my content I'll have up over the month of June. Yeah, I'd like to take a shot at that. That'd be yeah, that'd be nice. It's not a bad idea, right? <laughs> Guys, we'll be back next week, same time, 9.30, Thursday night with Drew DeLuca. He's going to be on from the quarterback list. He was a top 10 fantasy pros expert ranker last season, so we'll be excited to have him on. He was also, Chris, if you remember, uh, he was on our NFL draft special towards the end, too. So we'll be excited for that. Make sure you check us out on your favorite podcast app. Give us a follow on YouTube if you have not done so already, and subscribe so that way you get notified whenever we have new content available to you thank you again chris d and danielle and chris allen and we got to change up the names because it's ridiculous but we'll see you guys again next week <laughs>